you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 18. I read this last week as Pilate was in the midst of his interrogating of Jesus. He asked him, and starting in verse 33, he says, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thou unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore answered and said, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? Jesus answered and said, I should bear witness. I should testify, give testimony unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate merely asks, what is truth? It is difficult for us to perceive truth. I don't know if y'all were ever on a playground as a kid when you got a real dusty field and you get one of those dirt devils going around. Imagine trying to stand in the middle of a dirt devil. Dust is swirling. It's not hurting you, but you can't see. How do you determine what's true? I mean, we live in a day of alternative facts. That's another polite word for a lie. When your feelings become your reality, when morals have shifted probably more dramatically in this country in the last 20 years than they had the previous 200, when societal norms change dramatically, in a world where there's full of lies, opinions, active deceiving, ignorant sharing of wrong information, how do you know what's true? Well, if you've got that visual, that little whirling dirt devil around you, right? Are you standing on firm ground or are you standing on sinking sand? Well, stomp and see if there's rock underneath you, all right? So that's what we're going to try and do this morning to see what, what are we stomping on? What are we standing on? There's a lot of distractions, and if you get focused on those, it'll be easy to be led astray. All right, so we're going to try and think about this question that Pilate asked here. What is truth? And the simple answer is that God is truth. I know that we sang the scripture song a while back in Deuteronomy 32.4. So I'm going to read that passage to you. Speaking of God... He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth. Without iniquity, just and right is He. God is truth. He has no iniquity, no sins, no faults, no failures. Titus 1-2 says that God cannot lie. Did you know that? There are things God cannot do. He cannot break His holy character. He is a holy, holy, holy God. And lying would be contrary to that. He cannot lie. He is true, without iniquity. God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is He. Everything that He does is just and perfect. 
God is true. Well, we believe that scriptures reveal that God is a trinity. The three in one. Three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 1 and verse 14 I'll start in verse 1 and I'll jump down to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's another version of the Bible that's been distorted and put out by Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they'll add in a little word there. It says the Word was a God. One One little letter changes the meaning. But the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Who's Him? The Word. The subject of that is the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Was the Word there at creation? Yes. Was everything made by the Word? Yes. The Word was God. Is the Trinity a hard subject to wrap our head around? Yes. If you think you've got it perfectly... Probably rough. There's nothing we can compare it to. Okay? Who is who is the Word? Go down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God is truth. The Word is God. The Word was made flesh. What was His name? Jesus. The Christ. His title is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of the Father. Jesus in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, they would pronounce that as Joshua. Jehovah saves. Greeks. It's just the Greek form for, for Jesus. Joshua. He was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was full of truth. You go to John chapter 14. As he's comforting his disciples before he's about to die, before he's going to be arrested, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. This means dwellings. I don't think you necessarily got a plantation, you know, southern style columns or whatever. It's a place. In my Father's house are many places, many abodes for you and me. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. They know the road, they know the path. Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? He said, we don't know the destination, much less the route. And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the route. I'm the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So as God the Father is truth, God the Son is also truth. Is there absolute truth in this universe? Yes. It's God. Go to John chapter 18, verse 37. It says that Jesus came to bear witness unto the truth. Jesus Christ is the revealed image of the visible God. Invisible God. God the Father cannot be seen, but His Son came and took on flesh. And He is a revealing of truth. He bears witness of the truth. If you go back a chapter to John 16, you'll see this spoken of the Holy Spirit. Let's just start in verse 12. 
I have many things to say unto you, John 16 and 12, I have, many, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Albeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall be show, show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he will take of mine and show it unto you. Okay? The Holy Spirit also. Again, the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of itself. Okay? He speaks of that which is given from the Father to the Son, and it glorifies the Son. Okay? The Spirit of truth. When Jesus Christ spoke, they said this man was different. He didn't speak like the scribes, but he spoke with authority. His words themselves were truth. For us, it's okay to know this at a head knowledge level, but how do we find truth? In God's revealed, inspired word. Period. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, can teach us in this and lead us in this, but this is how God has revealed Himself to us. This is where we go. John chapter 17 and verse 7. 17 and 17, excuse me. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's praying for His disciples, those immediately, and also praying down for the rest of us. It's clear later in this passage. I won't get there, but it says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Go back to John chapter 8 and verse 31. <clears throat> 30 says, And he spake these words, Many believed on him. And then Jesus said to those Jews, Which believed on him? I'm talking to everybody here, but those that are believing on him. He said, if ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Our society has co-opted that last clause and just says, oh, the truth will set you free. We need the whole sentence. Continue in the word, then you'll be his disciples. A disciple is a follower. Can you follow someone if you're walking on a different path? If you needed a visual on following Christ, if you're following Christ, you're walking along the edge of the Grand Canyon. When you're not following, you're walking over the edge of the Grand Canyon. Okay? It's not healthy. You shall know the truth. How? The Word. And the truth shall make you free from the bondage of the lies and deceptions that are in this world. Amen. You go to John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. This is, this is trustworthy stuff. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, this is, I'm going to give you a clause of it. He's, he's addressing um, people who are nitpicking His words. Um, and so he brought them back uh, a response. Um, they said, you know, they're ready to stone him, basically. 
And he said, you know, which, which of my good works are you going to stone me for? And they said, for a good work we stone thee not. I said, no, we're not going to stone you because you did good, but for the blasphemy, the words that you spoke, because thou being a man, makest thyself God. And Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. He's quoting back from Psalm 82, 6. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. That's the piece that I want for right now. Can Scripture be broken? No. That's what makes Scripture different. Right? I could write something. I could, I could put a contract out there and, and agree with somebody else, and we could have just the plainest terms. And if that other person chooses not to abide by it, those words don't mean nothing, right? It's broken. Scripture's not that way. His Word will continue. It will prevail. It won't change. Okay? It is something that you can rely on. That in the midst of all that swirling dust and distraction, you can stomp on the Word and say, yes, I'm standing on the rock. The Scripture cannot be broken. If you go to 2 Timothy, um, you'll hear preachers use this all the time. And so you may tune out with it, but don't. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17 says, what is, what is the purpose for Scripture? What is, it, what is it good for? We know that it's the word of truth. It cannot be broken. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So who is really the writer of Scripture? God. He used men to pin it down. Forty-something of them over a thousand-something years. And yet it's not broken. There's no internal inconsistencies. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It means it's good for this. For doctrine, which means instruction, teaching. For reproof, for correcting mistakes. For correction. And there's, there's varying degrees of, of gentleness and then harder and harder when you have um, the need to um, deal with error. For reproof, for correction... For instruction in righteousness. How do we learn how to live lives that please God? How do we glorify Him? By reading His Word. That's what it means for instruction in righteousness. Learning what He expects. That the man of God, you and I, a believer, may be perfect. That does not mean sinless. That means mature or complete. That we can grow up thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All the good works that you have been created as a new creature to, you have the manual that can teach you how to go about it. And why do you do that? Because it glorifies your Father. Who created you? Created you anew in the new birth. All right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is sufficient. It's very handy to have my little phone where I can do word searches to jump through it very fast. If I didn't have that, this is still sufficient. It's nice to look up in commentators, commentaries and see what other men who've spent their lives reading Scripture, what conclusions they've come to on particular passages. It's nice. They're not right all the time because they're men. But if I didn't have that at all, it's still sufficient. If I knew Greek and I knew uh, Latin and I knew Hebrew and I knew Aramaic and I can go read the original copies that are the oldest they have, that would be great. But the Lord has given us a really, 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 really good translation um, from the best of those old copies. And this is sufficient. Okay? We don't have to go outside of truth to find truth. And it may sound silly to say that way, but we do it! Okay? Now, here's the more dangerous part. Do I have to trust 
a claim that someone makes just because they support it with Scripture. No. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this. You can flip there if you want to. But it says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Right? When we say prove, we mean test. Test it out. Examine it. Everything you're hearing, you're testing. What do you hang on to? That which is good. How do you know if it's good? Is it true? How do you know if it's true? All right. Is it in the book? All right. All right. So this is this is the real thing. How do we prove it? How do we test it? These are skills that you and I have to have. There will be a lot thrown at us in our life that is not true. And often there's a little bit of truth mingled in there. Right? You can have 99% error and a little bit of truth, just enough to kick it. Right? So, how do we prove it? How do we test it? Well, we have to study it. Right? We have to study it. And the question you've got to answer is that, you know, that scriptural reference, is the word being rightly divided? Right? That's, that's the, the biblical language used in 2 Timothy 2.15. Says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right. Rightly dividing. Let's give you another word picture. Let's say that I go over here to the Old Testament and I, I get an idea, and it's kind of like a circle. And I go over here in Psalms, and I got another idea. It's kind of like a square. And I get in the New Testament, I get a couple triangles. And I put them all together, and I arrange it. And then you look up, and you got a face that looks like Picasso's. Right? Y'all ever seen Picasso's paintings? Joker don't look like people. Right? They're distorted. They're flat. they got one ear. I think he's got issues there. But his form of art is taking something, and it kind of sort of kind of looks like it if you really squint. Right? I'm not dogging him as an artist, but... I do dog those who take Scripture and say, if, I'm, if I twist this hard enough and bend it hard enough and you find this, then look. See, here's the picture I'm trying to make. That's not rightly dividing it. Rightly dividing should be, look, here's a pattern. You look here, and then you look here, and you look here, and then look, you see this here, and you build it. It should be more like a, more like a pyramid, right? Foundation. And then another layer, and they all build up, and they all fit together, and it's smooth. And does that take a whole lot more time and energy and effort? Yes. Yeah! But at the end, the pyramid lasts. Right? Rightly dividing the word. Um, and over in Second Peter 3.16, it would describe those who rest the word. And that word rest is not like sleep but like the beginning of the word wrestling. It means to wrench, twist, to distort. Let me just go read it. 2 Peter 3.16. And this is Peter, right? And he's talking about Paul's letters. He says, Even as our beloved brother Paul, back in 15, says, Also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood. Hey, Peter thought Paul's writings could be hard to be understood. That make you feel a little bit better? Right? It, it, this takes effort. It takes the, the spirit of truth teaching us. There are some things which are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, wrestle, twist, distort, as they also do other scriptures unto their own destruction. There will be people who actively distort scripture. Again, part of it could be ignorance. Part of it's maliciousness. The person they learned it from could be the malicious one, and now they're repeating it. But you and I have a duty to prevent our own damage and destruction in our life of going back and checking to see, 
Is that actually what it says? Is that a lesson that's faithfully could be drawn out of that? Um, this is what the Bereans did. Y'all remember the Bereans, right? They're described as being more noble than the other Jews. Paul had gone to this other town. He told him about Jesus. Said, "Look, here in the Old Testament, it said that Christ was going to suffer and he was going to die and he was going to rise again. And look, here's the man, right? This is what he's done." And those Jews said, you're a blasphemer. We're going to kill you. Run away. Ah, right? They go down to the next town. It says these Jews were more noble. What did they do? They went and searched the scriptures daily to see if such things were so. Okay? They searched the scriptures daily to see if such things were so. All right? So, you know, tools for this study. It's easy to say, well, study. Okay, well, what kind of tools do you have? What do you, what do you need? Well, question number one you should ask is, does this scripture even exist? More often than not, there's not a chapter and verse given. They'll just say, well, as the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> it's not in there. You can look. I mean, yeah, take baths. I'm not, I'm not arguing with the message, but... The fact that someone is saying, this is in the Bible, but it's not. That's your first threshold question. Is it even in there? All right? How do you do that? Do some word searches. Google it. I don't care. Google is good at looking up portions of the Bible. It's not good at giving you biblical answers. All right? So if I need to ask something about Google, I'll put in the expression, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, and I'll put KJV. <laughs> and then it'll, 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 that will filter it out so that the results that come up, I know it's going to be people quoting scripture. And you won't find KJV that. All right? If it did exist, it'd come up pretty quick. And then you can go back to your Bible and see what it says in context. All right? So that's kind of your first thing. Does it even exist? Special question. Next. Okay, it exists, but it's just a snippet. Right? They've taken a piece of a clause, and now they're teaching a lesson that that rest of that sentence certainly doesn't. Okay? Give an example, right? Um, a lady is having an affair, and she wants to leave her husband and go with the, the new guy. And she reads over there in, uh, I think it's Philippians, maybe Colossians. Put off the old man and put on the new. <laughs> Y'all laugh, but I read a preacher who wrote a book, and there was a sister who wasn't, wasn't an old Baptist, but still, there was, was a sister who was justifying the decision she'd already made, and she said, well, I opened up my Bible, and it said it right there, and so it was a sign from God. No. <laughs> no. Right? And you and I laugh at that, because that should be obvious. But there are things that are put out there that are based off snippets of a sentence that completely Sometimes, you know what Apostle Paul does? He argues against himself like a lawyer. And so if you take that counter-argument that he's about to blow out of the water and you just say, well, look, Paul said this. You go back and read the sentence. Yeah, he's saying that to say that it's wrong. But if you don't go back and do your homework and you just accept it at face value, you've been deceived. You've been allowed yourself to be duped. Okay? How about another one? This was... This is one that you may agree with the message, but the biblical facts are wrong. Cain killed Abel with a rock, and God blamed Cain, not the rock. Right? It's, 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 it's on gun control, right? And you may agree with the message. I, I, I get it. It doesn't say how Cain killed Abel. It's silent. It's just as he, he rose up and he slew him. Period. And so even though we may agree with the message that's being presented, we need to be careful not to further things that say this is what the Bible says when it doesn't. We've got to be careful. We should be very careful. One, what we consume and believe, and two, what we share with others. We don't want to give any bad information about Scripture to others. All right? We hold that Scripture is the truth. Let's handle it accordingly, carefully. Not give it out a distorted um, caricature of it. Okay? So, context, if you've just got a snippet, context is what will help you, right? If you're reading something and it's a portion of a sentence, 
at the bare minimum, read the whole sentence. But really, at the bare minimum, read the sentence before and the sentence after, and really, at the bare minimum, read the whole chapter, preferably the whole book. <laughs> right? Most of these books are not that long. Right? Y'all ever sit down and, and just read, read a novel? Yeah, you can get through 50, 60 pages, and, and you, you don't even think about it. Right? And yet, reading 10 pages of a New Testament epistle, sometimes you're just like, oh, this is... Oh, right? It's a letter. Imagine somebody wrote you a letter. You sit down and you read that whole letter. You don't just open up the letter. You turn to page two. You read the single sentence. Oh, well, that's nice. Close the letter. Put it back away. We'll read it some more next week. It's a whole. Read it as a whole. You will save yourself from making a lot of silly mistakes. Because I don't know about you, but my mind does not hold on to something that I read three weeks ago very well. But if I've just read it right then, I tend to do a lot better. So, context. All right. So these are kind of the, the easy ones, right? Does it exist at all? Yes or no? Is it the whole thing? Does it make sense in the context? The harder ones were with, was where the lesson that's being drawn out from it, yeah, could kind of come from that context. You could see how they get there. Um, those are the harder ones. Right? Those are the ones where it's not just painfully obvious that somebody's distorting it, and these are the ones that are more likely to get you. This is the subtle mistruths. Go back to that John chapter 10. And I want to think about this for a minute. John chapter 10 and verse 34, they're accusing him and ready to stone him because he said, I and my father are one. And their accusation is that you've made yourself God. And Jesus answered and said, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him who the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said I am the Son of God? It would be possible for somebody to argue that says, well, Jesus says we're all gods. We're equal to God. There are groups who think that you can achieve a state where you're equal to God. They could use a verse like this. That's not what this verse is, means or teaching. But you can see how, well, that, that, that kind of see how it fits. It's not painfully obvious, right? So this one, you've got to go do additional research, right? What is Jesus quoting? Well, he's quoting Psalm 82. So let's go back and look at Psalm 82 and look at that in context. If you have an allusion to something else in Scripture, you need to go look at that and see what is being addressed there. And I'm just using this in, as an example. So, um, But Psalm 82 and verse 1 says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Salah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither they understand. They walk, they walk in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of ye children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit the nations. So I read that really fast, and just to let you know what's going on here, is that God is upbraiding the human judges among the nation of Israel because they are judging unfaithfully, unrighteously. God, he is the great judge. And there will be a great white throne and there will be the perfect judgment, right? And so in this sense, the same word for God is also elsewhere used for judge. is, is saying that you are acting in the role that God has as a judge and you're not doing it right. And so even though your, your, your children are the most high, you're still going to die like men. And so if someone had made that claim to you saying that we're equal to God, you go back here and you look at the illusion and say, no, that's not at all what it's saying. Right? But Jesus is giving the example of just saying, look, he's, he's used that term to describe his people as his children, and all I've said is I'm the son of God. Right? Are you really going to stone me for that? So he's pointing out their logic flaws, but the point being is that there's that additional step. 
of going and seeing not only what's right there, but what else is, is referenced, all right? Is that, is that harder? Yes. yes, it is. And it gets even harder when you have to think in terms of, does the proposed claim contradict biblical themes, doctrines, principles, whatever you want to think about it, that are laced throughout the Bible, right? If you take one snippet of something that seems to be in context, but it says, it's fine to commit adultery, then you would know that you've got all this other body of textual information that says, no, it's not! And so you know that has to be wrong, right? Having that broad brush information across the whole scripture, that takes a lot of study, right? That takes reading it cover to cover more than once, right? For this, this is part of my job. Come and ask. I've probably read it through most, more than most of you. Maybe not. But in, in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Finding individuals you know that you trust that, one, love you and care for you, and two, love the Lord and care for Him and, and respect His Word and will give you the best possible answer from their best understanding, finding those counselors can help you with this. All right? You know, so I'd be able to tell you if they're saying that you're equal to God. Well, how about Isaiah 45, 5, and 6, where it says, I am the Lord, and there is none other beside me. There is no other God. Right? And you may not have that one handy in your bag of tricks. Um, but that's something that having that multitude of counselors, that's part of what we as a church family can support each other. Um, and so when you're studying, don't just study for yourself. A study of, I may be called to ask, be asked by somebody. Is something so? And so let me sharpen my tools and quiver and be ready, be ready to answer. All right, so that's, that's kind of our first, first crack at it, right? We have a claim. It's given Scripture to support it. Go look at those scriptures, all right? There's another avenue that we can approach, and this is taught in scripture as well, and that is evaluating the speaker, okay? Matthew chapter 7. Again, this is going to be Jesus speaking. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves they won't look like a ravening wolf right? ye shall know them by their fruits right? this verse is not for us as judging those around us of whether or not this person is going to go to heaven or hell. That's not what this context is talking about. This is giving you tools to discern when there is a deceiving teacher among you. It says, You shall know them by their works. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth corrupt fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire, wherefore by their fruit ye shall know them. Alright. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Joy, peace, love, mercy, easy to be entreated, gentleness, all those things that are produced by the Spirit, right? This is the teacher who's embodying those, who's living those out, and is trying to practice what he's teaching. As opposed to the wisdom of the world, which produces strife, envy, jealousy, riots, factions, divisions, right? You examine to see, does the individual's personal conduct match up with what they're teaching? What the Word teaches, not just what they're teaching, okay? This is Jesus' test given to you to determine if the speaker is worth listening to, right? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. This is in the same passage. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The good tree does the will of the Father. Bad tree can't, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you have not been born of the Spirit, you are not going to have those spiritual fruits. You're not going to have those evidences. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which has built his house upon a rock. And the floods came, and it fell not, for it was founded on a rock. And those that hear these sayings of mine and do them not shall be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The winds will come, and it will fall, and great will be the fall of it. Remember, we're stomping on the, stomping on the word. Both people heard the word, but one was a doer. One was, a follow, one was actively implementing it in your life. So this passage is really talking about who are you following? Who are you listening to? The one whose house is going to fall because they're building it on unstable sand because it's something other than the word? If they're, if they're talking about the word but they're not living it out, then that's a danger. That's a red flag. Okay? Now, take that out into a digital world where you don't even know who the speaker is. How can you evaluate their behavior? If they're anonymous, how can you evaluate whether their lives match up to this? You can't, right? And so if they are hiding actively or, or unintentionally, hiding behind that, then that should be discounting what you hear, okay? It's different from a known, ent a known entity Versus an unknown, right? You don't have a way that you can check and use Jesus' standard here. It's all red flags. Someone who's speaking anonymously, someone who's speaking under a fake name, um, who's hidden, who's hiding the, the fruits of their life, those should be red flags to you. Okay? How else can we evaluate uh, a speaker? What's their motive? And I'm, I want to say motive. Why are they speaking? And generally there's two. There's, there's one that's spoken aloud, your stated goal, and then there's the one that we unstated, implied. Okay? If I'm speaking to you and I say, I want the best for you, and then at the end of my video, all these ads come up. What do I really want? Revenue dollars, right? Or for the beginning of the video, there's ads. At the end, there's click here for your merchandise. Right? There were warnings that there would be false teachers who would make merchandise merchandise of the flock. You ever heard the expression fleecing the flock? It's going in, you're taking, you're shearing it, you're shaving the wool, you're getting it's a gathering in. Those who love money are going to desire to have your money and say what it is. So that would be an implied goal of of taking taking money. And you can see that by the context. You know? Do I put stuff on YouTube? Yeah. Am I gonna ever put ads on it? No. Can YouTube override me and put them on there? Yeah, but I put a disclaimer. I said, if any ads are ever on here, it's not because I asked for them. All right? We're not receiving anything. We, we want to put good content out there because we want to edify the body of Christ, all right? wherever it's found. All right? So when you have a speaker who loves the Lord, you can see that in their actions, and loves you individually and wants the best for you, that's very different than someone who has a state of goal of whatever it is. We want to raise an army, take back our country. Okay. And our, our eyebrows shoot up. There's, there's a lot of voices out there that we can listen to. And if we consume that day after day after day, it will affect our perception. Truth doesn't change. Our ability to perceive it will be skewed we mentioned a minute ago about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the speaker but you can also see in what they're speaking what are the results in other people are they leading to people having more fruit to the spirit or are they leading to carnal reactions this is like over in james chapter 3 Talking about two wise men. You can have a wise man in a worldly sense, and you have, can have a wise man in the spiritual sense. One who is born of God and is leading people towards the truths of God. You can have those two different. So, 
but they look radically different. The results of their labors are radically different. Chapter uh, 3 of James, verse 13 says, Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his whole behavior, his works with meekness of wisdom. Meekness, good works, good conversation. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom is descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. If the speaker is leading those to be envious of others, to be jealous, to have strife, to cause uh, anger and confusion, that's, a, that's an earthly wisdom. The wisdom that is from above, the contrast to that is the wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. You ever challenge somebody who did not like to be challenged? Worldly wisdom does not like to be challenged. You're questioning me? How dare you question me? And you put that in a spiritual sentence and they'll throw something like, Touch not the Lord's anointed. (laughs) That was God talking about someone don't hurt Abraham when he goes down to the Philistines or Egypt. I don't remember which one, but no, brother. (laughs) We're more like Paul. We're saying, y'all check behind us. All right? No. Easy to be entreated. That's to be questioned, to ask questions and to be questioned. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, not being a respecter of persons, right? Preferring one above another just because generally there's some gain for worldly wisdom of doing that, right? And without hypocrisy. The fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace, all right? So evaluating the speaker, evaluating their stated goals, what are they trying to accomplish? What are their behaviors that let you know what are their what's their hidden agenda? What's the what's the what's the backstory? And I'm not saying you're trying to read their mind, but you're looking at the conduct to see what the pattern is, right? The Lord's given us good sense. Let's use it. And then see how are people responding to this? Is it leading people to act more Christ-like or not? Right? Okay. Let's talk about some traps. Traps. One, when people are citing sources outside of the Bible as authority. Okay? And that can include scriptural, and I use that, I don't even like that word. Books that some folks will include within the context of their Bible. Okay? We talk about the, the Apocrypha, and that's not even a consistent term. It depends on who you're talking about, what those books are. But these are books that are purportedly Scripture, and yet the writing quality is vastly lower. They have wildly inconsistent teachings. I mean, some of them actually say things like, um, by almsgiving, you have forgiveness of sins. Well, that's works-based doctrine. And you know that the rest of Scripture conflicts with that. It also can teach, um, well, let me just put it this way. There are books that are not cited in the New Testament. They're not used by Jesus, and they're not used by the apostles. Okay, And so there may be some religiously sounding books, but if the Jews, who, for whom the oracles were given didn't include it in their texts of the Holy Writ, and then Jesus and the apostles didn't you know, reference them, we don't need them either. Okay? There is, um, there is a danger and a warning given to those who add to the Lord's Word. Okay? Revelation 22 and 8. No, maybe it's 18. Yes, 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. 
If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Same thing for taking out anything. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That's yeah, a severe warning. And so if you have someone who is saying, well, the Bible's wrong, and if you just add this in, or it's wrong, and you just got to take this out, run away from that person. Because whatever they're about to teach you is going to be another gospel. Galatian saints um, were really chastised by the Apostle Paul because they had allowed people to come in and say, Jesus is great, but you have to keep the Old Testament Jewish law too. You have to be circumcised. You've got to do all this stuff. And Paul would write in Galatians 1, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. All within the past 200 years, there have been other religions that have propped up out of saying, well, we'll take the New Testament, and then an angel came and gave me some more information, and now here's a new spin on it. No. That's another gospel. And the result is let them be accursed. And it's not a real another gospel. There's no other, other good news. It's just a perversion of the good news. All right? So you can have that inciting sources that are outside the Bible. That's a trap. You can have someone saying, I've, I've received a personal revelation from God. That's a trap. It's not contained in Scripture. They're adding to it. If it is in Scripture, why did you need it to begin with? Don't add to it. Don't teach another gospel. If your personal revelation, if an angel came and told you, this is what Jesus said. <clears throat> How about this? Yes, I, I'm reading the Scripture. Yes, I'm reading within you know the, the, the letters here. But I have a private understanding that has been revealed to me, and, and you, can't, you can't understand it unless I tell it to you. How about that? I, I'm, I'm going to be an intermediary between you and God, and I'm going to tell you what His Word says. You can't, you can't see it for yourself, but here's, I will tell you. Right? That's called a private interpretation, and that's dealt with in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, which saying, Knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Right? There is no man that needs to come between you and the Word and God. Right? Everything that I teach, if there's of any value, it's because it's coming out of here and you should be able to go back and see if I have to tell you it's coded, it's hidden, and you got to, you know, take these letters and convert them into numbers and do all that, and, and we chuckle, but people do that. There's a whole study of nuts who take letters and words and convert them into numbers and then try and pick patterns based on that. I don't care. I mean, it's like counting gnats in your tater salad. It just don't matter. It's just pepper down here. It doesn't matter. So beware of secret wisdom. Okay? Secret wisdom. There is an allure to it. To be in the know and have something that other folks don't know. That makes you feel what? Important. Special. Better than... Others, right? Are any of those traits that are valued as children of God? <laughs> now we're all humble servants. Everyone else is counted better than us. I'm really not worthy to be here, but for the grace of God, I'm glad to be here. 
Right? It's a very different attitude than... Hmm. All right. At the close of the age of the apostles, you know, the, the, the prophecies close down. Right? We believe that the apostolic gifts that were given, that were common, there, that New Testament church, before the rest of the word was set down, they were given for a reason. So those could know who was speaking on God's behalf. Right? It'd be easy to go out and say, yes, I, I saw Jesus and he told me we should go invade Rome. Right? And then you know, Paul comes up and says, no, he didn't. And then everybody who's walking from Paul, you know, they're getting healed and uh, there's all this, you know, very amazing things associated with this man, right? How do you check between the two? One's been given signs and miracles to confirm he's speaking on God's behalf. The other's just a shyster, right? We don't have to have that distinction between anymore because now we can determine the shysters based on the word, right? So that's why we believe it's it has been closed down. We don't need those things um, anymore. Right Now, if you were to read the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, you would find there is a great deal of text warning you against false teachings, against false prophets, against how to identify them, things that they value. Um, encourage you this week. I won't go through the whole chapter because we don't have time. To go read 1 Timothy chapter 6. The whole thing, the whole chapter is dealing with false teachers. It starts off with servants being obedient to your masters, then it shifts into, and if anyone teaches you otherwise, then they are teaching you that which is unsound, unwholesome, unhealthy, ungodly. And then it goes on to warn you, warn you about those who are going to advocate saying that covetousness is a good thing, that getting stuff is a good thing, that if you have more and more gain, it's godliness. Like the folks who attend Joel Olstein's church are really proud that their pastor has a multi-million dollar... McMansion, right? Look how godly he is. There, there's a whole chapter devoted to the danger of listening to a false teacher. And then the danger that folks are going to want that. Sheep are going to want to have their ears tickled to go away from the hard truths and have the vain uh, jangling. Fables, endless genealogy, and vain jangling. That's in First. Timothy 1, 4 through 7. I'll read that one. That one's not a whole chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, now the end... No, verse 4, verse 4. Neither give heed to fables. Fable, fables are, are myths, stories, old wives' tales. The, those apocrypha books, they're, they're fables. Right? Fables, endless genealogies. Well, this is a descendant of Benjamin and blah, 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 blah. blah. I mean, you can't do that today. You can't, all right? It's that, that avenue, one, it doesn't matter anymore, but it's, it's been closed, all right? So don't waste your time trying to trace yourself back to Abraham. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Neither give heed to fables, endless genealogies. Why? What do those do? They minister questions. They just bring up more questions, more questions, rather than godly edifying, building up, which is of the faith. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, babbling. I've listened to some videos online of just babbling. They just take layer after layer after layer after layer of garbage and try to weave it in and say, look, Picasso. And why? They desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so this context, these are folks who are saying, yeah, we gotta, we got to have the Old Testament law in effect. As Christians, we got to have that too. No. But Paul is having to warn Timothy to be on guard against this, that they were going to be false teachers. All right? So... What's the obvious, most practical, easiest to achieve defense that you can take up to be on guard against this? Be in the Word. Right? 
It's so simple. Uh, what I'm hoping to present here is the urgency of it. It's not just, wow, that would be a good thing for me to do. And I can learn a bit a little bit later. And at Bible study, he can ask me a question and I won't go, ah, right? No, right? This is for our benefit, for our protection to keep us from being deceived, from not opening up those gaps, for not passing along bad information, right? You know, that's... We talk about the, the passage in Ephesians about speaking the truth in love. That's in a section that talks about pastors and teachers and their job. What are they there for? For the perfecting of the saints, like maturing, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. How long? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Why? That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of a doctrine. Right? What do the big bad wolf do in the little pig's house, right? That's not a very strong house, right? Two houses he knocked down. How about the third one? That should be a better image for us, right? The wind of those false doctrines should just kind of break up against the side of our brick wall, right? Instead of being blown over or carried about uh, with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. So you, got, you ever seen folks doing the little parlor tricks out on the road? Or sleight of hand? You're watching this and they're doing this over here, right? It's intentional deception. They've got a little slight. You're watching over here and then they're taking away over here. We shouldn't be deceived by that. By the slight of man, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are folks who plan this. Lying in wait is advanced preparation. All right, we're going to, I mean, the idea in the Old Testament was we're going to lie in wait here on this side of the road. We're going to be in the curve. You know, the guys are going to come along. We're going to jump out. We're going to beat them and kill them and take their stuff, right? Well, it's the same idea in doctrine. That there are those who are intentionally trying to deceive. For whatever their means or their end, you and I have to be on guard. But speaking the truth in love, right? My job. Speaking the truth to you, truth from the Word, in love, right attitude, right spirit. Not, I'm better than you and I got it all figured out. <laughs> don't. Right? If anything, the more I learn, the more I mean, oh man, to be up here is hard. To know that I'm flawed. Um, to see it daily. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. That's what, we're, that's what we're growing up to. We're pointing to Christ. I'm speaking the truth to you from the word, which points you back to Christ. Just like the Holy Spirit points you back to Christ, that's what you need to be pointed to. <sighs> Rooted and grounded in Christ. That's the expression over in Colossians 2. To be rooted and built up in Christ, established in the faith, in the truth. And we need to be aware. Beware. Come back. Go, go ahead and turn over to Colossians. I'm trying to quote more than I'm capable of. Colossians 2 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you heard him from the word, follow that. Be a hearer, be a doer. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Beware, be on your guard, be danger, lest any man spoil. That means to lead you away captive, like a booty, right? Pirates, they'd come and get their spoils. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Philosophy is a word that means the love of wisdom. Okay? How can one who loves wisdom spoil you? They love a wisdom that's not the Lord's wisdom. It's that wisdom from the earth. Devilish, sensual. Beware of any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, worthless, evil deceit, delusions. After the tradition of men, the tradition there means the transmissions, the uh, instruction, the precepts of men, saying this is what men say and you should follow after that. After the rudiments of the world, the rudiments means the, the, the orderly construction of the world as opposed to that which God has designed. Right? And not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is sufficient. 
Knowing more about your Lord is sufficient. How are you going to learn more about Him? In the way He revealed Him. Job of a preacher is to teach the old, old story. Right? That's the song. My job is not to be up here to be new, to be on the cutting edge, to be advanced. This is not a role where new and novel ideas are to be valued. I'm not saying there's not areas where we have blind spots, where we can be straightened out further by the Word, but the charge to each of us is to stand fast. Stand fast. Hold the truth. Be rooted in the truth. You see trees getting up and walking very often? No, right? They stand still. They stand still on the truth. So when you stomp that ground, I'm standing on the rock. That's where you want to put down roots. That's where you want to build your brick house. That's where you want to stay. That's where it's safe. That's where actual truth is. Is there more we can say? Sure. Is this enough for today? Probably. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for your time and attention.